All right, good morning, guys. Welcome to Trailhead Church. My name is Steve, and I am the lead pastor. Uh, We're going to have another celebration Sunday, but before I call everybody up, I actually want to read the text first. So grab your Bibles. Let's go ahead and flip over to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, grab one off one of the chairs around you. And in our Bibles, we're going over to page 992. 992. And uh, while you're flipping over there, happy Super Bowl Sunday. I know you're all excited, right? We got, uh, it's really shaping up to be a real battle today. And I'm not talking about the, uh, the Patriots and the Falcons. I'm talking about Tom Brady and Lady Gaga. <laughs> Tom Brady, Trump's BFF, and Lady Gaga, who isn't. Um, and on that note, I want to invite you back next week, because next week um, I'm going to get political. Uh, There are some things we need to talk about. Uh, The political season is absolutely toxic, and it's not getting better. And as my heart has been wrestling over the last several weeks, um, there were some things that I just feel like the Spirit was was pushing on me. At first, I thought it was going to be a Facebook post, and I'm like, no, it's got to be a blog post, and then really it just came down to... I need to take a Sunday and just open the, the Word with y'all and, and, and with my heart. And so, if this makes you nervous, let me put your mind at ease. This message will be an equal opportunity offender. There will be something in it to offend everybody, so you will not be singled out. But more importantly, I hope there will be encouragement for everybody, okay? Because that's what we desperately need. We live in a politically and socially divided time, and the gospel calls us to something so much better and so much more fulfilling. Um, and so come back next week because I believe the, the Spirit's giving us something that's going to be timely and challenging and encouraging uh, as we uh, address just a pressing need. Um, so this morning, we're going to be revisiting an important topic for our church. We're going to be talking about leadership. We're going to be talking about eldership. Uh, it is not one of the most exciting topics that we cover but it is absolutely important for the health and well-being of our church. And so let's take a look at our text uh, and read our scripture, okay? So we're going to be looking at 1 Timothy 3, and we're going to look at verses uh, 1 through 7. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil." Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. The word of the Lord. All right, today is a a celebration Sunday. Celebration Sundays are new in 2017. It's something we started where once a month we're going to be highlighting a leader, somebody who serves behind the scenes. You benefit from their service. You benefit from the investment of their time, their energy, their talent, but you don't know who they are because they're doing it in ways that often is kind of hidden, right? But, but you feel the effects of their leadership. 
And so my goal in 2017 is to start bringing some of these leaders out so that we can give honor where honor is due, right? So we can say thank you to people who are blessing us, even if uh, we didn't know they were the ones doing it, right? So today, uh, I want to invite up um, Trailhead's elders and their wives. Uh, Why don't you guys come on up? Um, I think this is our most open area right over here. Uh, I want to introduce you to these guys. Some of you know them very well. Some of you don't. Um, But as they're coming up, I want to let you know, I mean, we're six years old. We've had two elder processes uh, since we launched in 2011. Uh, An elder process basically is identifying people who have a desire and feel like they may be called to be elders. They go into a year-long process of, of testing, training, examination, and growth. And at the end of that year, uh, we go through a, a, a deep kind of heart-searching, prayerful process where we, we ask God, are these guys being um, called to serve as elders in the church? And at the end of that year, um, that's what we've done. And so in 2012, we went through our first elder process. Um, Clint and, and Dan Free came out of that as elders. Uh, Dan Free is currently on sabbatical. He's in uh, seminary uh, working on... Uh, his degree for counseling. And so with the weight of the seminary work and everything else that was going on, we decided for a season it would be best for him to step out of, of active eldership. Um, we anticipate he'll be stepping back in. Um, and then in 2013, 14, we started another eldership process. Um, and uh, Kevin and Den came through that process. Um, and so our current elders... Uh, are, are these guys right here. Um, I just want you to know, these guys give up countless hours. These guys serve in sacrificial ways that humble me. Um, they they <laughs> are responsive uh, to uh, the needs of the church. They are protective of the vision of the church. Uh, and they sacrifice for the mission of the church. These guys lead out in every way that, that they're being asked to lead. These guys have my respect and uh, my absolute affection because we could not be surviving today if we didn't have a healthy group of elders um, to, to work together to make this happen, right? Um, so, you guys, this is not just a title. It's a real responsibility. Elders at Trailhead Church are shepherds. And, and they sacrifice for the sheep. And so it is good for us to honor those who sacrifice for us. So I want to introduce them to you. This is Clinton Cassie. Um, say hi. hi. You can say hi. hi. There you go. <laughs> I like to make things awkward. Uh, Clint has been um, an elder... Since that first eldership process, um, he started attending, man, I don't know, 2000, before we were trailhead. Yeah, back in the day, I was leading some crazy evangelistic walk over to SIUE, and y'all joined us that night. You loved it so much, you stuck. Because Clint, as you can tell, is a huge extrovert and absolutely loves the spotlight. <laughs> um, and so, um, anyway, he, he has been serving as the financial lead of our church, the treasurer, 
um, and has little kids, and you guys know what that's like, right? I mean, he works a, a very, very full-time job. He has a very full-time family, and, uh, and I'm often getting emails from him at, at midnight, 12.30, 1 in the morning with updates and forms and, and stuff like that. I mean, these guys have sacrificed sleep, time, and energy for years uh, for the well-being of this church, and I'm incredibly thankful. Den and Sarah, everybody say hi to Den and Sarah. Hi. You can say hi back. <laughs> Den also is a huge extrovert, not, um, but uh, Den uh, came through our more recent elder process, and um, he leads our men's ministry. Um, he has been the production team lead. He has been very active in the building renovation process. Uh, he, uh, he's the one that sends out the weekly support questions for our community group leaders so that they have material to lead their uh, community group discussions. I don't even know what else you do, man. I mean, it's like the list keeps growing. Oh, he also um, is kind of the point guy on examining mission opportunities for the church, which is just one more task that we'll talk about in a minute because that's kind of important. Uh, Kevin down here, I affectionately call him his primary responsibility is to be the bouncer. Um, but Kevin and Meg uh, also came through the recent uh, elder process. Kevin is transitioning into the, tr- the, uh, the treasurer role for the church, um, has been very, very active in um, financial discussions and um, kind of the strategic stuff that's been going on. He has at different points led men's ministry. He has um, been working with, with some of our work in, in um, pornography addiction support. He has, um, they currently lead our, our premarital um, and so they sit down with all these premarital couples and, and tell them how wonderful and easy marriage is. <laughs> and as you can tell, Kevin also is a huge extrovert. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so these guys um, really have faithfully, faithfully served the church. And I wanted to bring the wives up, obviously, because we really do see this as a partnership. Um, when we come through, man, we meet with the elders and the elders' wives. We are teams um, because the entire family sacrifices for this. This isn't something that, that the guys just kind of do a little bit. On. I mean, everybody's involved, and everybody here bears weight. You're right. Everybody here carries extra responsibilities because they love this church, and they love the mission of this church. And so I think it's really, really important for us to honor them and to say thank you to them and, and to love them. So can we give them... So I got them, or Lauren got them, <laughs> some flowers, and uh, so she did her part incredibly well. Those are beautiful. My part was to get them some gift cards and to write some really thoughtful notes, which I forgot at home, so I'm giving them empty envelopes. <laughs> um, Which I find ironically appropriate. <laughs> Welcome to eldership. Here's an empty envelope that says thank you. Um, <laughs> anyway, y'all, 
as a church, bought them a dinner out, and so uh, I'll be running home between services, or somebody will, and we'll make sure you get those, and, uh, and just to honor you and, and, and thank you. Um, so one of the reasons that uh, I want to pause and, and mention this is, is this coming week, uh, Den is actually going to be heading to Honduras for us. Uh, we, as you know, um, have connections around the world to different kinds of opportunities, mission opportunities, where we, where we love people in need, where we come in and, and do community improvement and service, and we share the gospel. We share the love of Christ with people, and we're exploring an opportunity of partnering um, in Honduras. Uh, I was in East Asia uh, this, this last uh, fall, and so we decided I, I didn't need any more travel, and so uh, Den is going to be heading down there. Den, would you mind just sharing a few words about what you're what, what the opportunity is, grab one of the mics and sound guy if you'll make him live. Yeah, so I'm going to be going uh, with Compassion International. Maybe some of you have heard of them. They're sort of a big organization, maybe one of the best well-known uh, child sponsorship organizations. This opportunity came up. We're going to be going down with uh, some other pastors, primarily through Converge. And we're just going to be doing some sort of fact-finding on this opportunity to see what churches can partner with them. Um, visiting some children, visiting some families, and uh, and then I'll come back and we'll share that information with the elders and see if this is an opportunity that we can partner with as a church. Is uh, let's just pray for Den, um, obviously for Sarah and the family as he's gone for the week. If you guys wouldn't mind just coming around him, and um, I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer for these guys. Father, we thank you for these families, for their love for your church, um, specifically for Trailhead, their love for me and for each of the people in this room, the sacrifices they make on a daily basis to be a blessing. Um, Lord, I am just incredibly grateful that you have placed within them a desire placed on them, a calling, given them gifts, and then given them to the church. I pray for Den this week that as he um, heads to Honduras that uh, you'll give him safety, uh, give him joy in, in the uh, experience, and then, Lord, uh, open our eyes as to what partnerships, what, what ways we should be investing and, and involved um, Lord, it's, it's your church, and, and uh, we, we manage your resources, and we want to use them for your glory. And so we pray, Lord, that, that you would just use this as an opportunity to bring uh, just clarity to, to how you would have us be a blessing. So bless this family this week specifically, um, Sarah and, and the kids as Den's out of town, and, and uh, continue, Lord, to, to bless um, each one of these families. I love them, and I'm so thankful for them, and I pray your rich blessing on them in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thanks. I'll get the real thing to you next service. All right, you guys. Um, about once a year, I take the opportunity to uh, to preach on, on eldership. It's a super important topic for our church. Um, 
Because here's the thing, as leaders go, so the church goes. It's true for any organization. It's true for the local church. If churches are thriving, it's because they have leaders that are drinking deeply of grace and leading powerfully in the gospel. If a church is struggling, it is often because the leaders themselves are struggling. If you've been hurt in a church, it's probably been because of poor leadership in a church. I understand that. It's a great weight, tremendous responsibility, and it is something that is incredibly important. The Bible tells us that every church should be led by elders. Um, That is, for us, we try to pattern ourselves as much as we can after the examples that we find in the New Testament and what is laid out there. What we find in the New Testament is that every local church was led by plurality of elders, a group of elders. In fact, um, after Paul planted a group of churches, um, he actually sent people back to make sure elders were appointed in those churches, right? He, he, he sent Titus back. He left him in Crete and said, man, put what remains in order. Appoint elders in each of the churches. It was that important to him, that, that it wasn't enough that there was just a gospel testimony. It wasn't enough that people were, were hearing about the grace of God and becoming believers in Jesus. He wanted those local churches to be grounded with good leadership. Because he knew that, that for that testimony to last, for, for the witness of the gospel to, to stay faithful, leadership was required. So the Bible tells us quite a bit about what elders are supposed to be and what they're supposed to do. In fact, there are three titles given in the New Testament for elders. They are described as elders, they are described as overseers, and they are described as shepherds. We call them more commonly pastors right? Because we're not as much of a uh, a shepherding culture, but pastor-shepherd is the same thing. And these names speak to different characteristics of the job, right? So so when we call someone an elder, um, we're speaking of wisdom, right? It can speak of age. In fact, the word itself, if you just take it for its literal meaning, means somebody who is older, right? But but it really does speak more of wisdom and um, uh, preparation than it does about physical age, right? Um, When I first became a believer, I was part of a small church, and they were an elder-led church, and they took this very literally. Um, So all of the elders in that church were were very white-haired, right? I mean, they were were elder elders, right? It was scandalous if a guy who was 50 thought about being an elder in that church because he wasn't an elder elder. He He was getting there, but not quite, right? Starting on to the journey, uh, a church in St. Louis, our parent church, in 2000, late 2004, and our kids were, were much younger. And um, I remember driving, and the kids were processing the differences between the two church experiences. They had only experienced that small church up to that point. We, we went to the journey, and one of my kids was asking about the elders of the church. Where are the elders of the church? Because the journey at that point, honestly, Lauren and I were like the oldest people in the church. It was a very young church. And, uh, and we said, oh, they have elders. And we explained who they were. And one of my kids was like, well, they shouldn't be called elders. They should be called youngers because <laughs> their hair wasn't white. And, and here's the thing. When we're talking about elders, it is important for us to know we're talking about wisdom, not age, right? Age, wisdom normally comes with age, but it doesn't always. There's some really, really foolish old people right? Let's be honest. Just because you're old doesn't mean you're wise. Just because you're old doesn't mean you have a deep experience of grace, right? What we're talking about is somebody who, who has experience with grace, somebody who has wrestled with grace and grown in grace and learned what it means to be a sinner who's being redeemed, 
Somebody who doesn't need to pretend to be something they're not because they know who God has declared them to be in Christ. Somebody who isn't um, fronting or pretending. Somebody who isn't trying to build a platform to, to build up their, um, their hurting self-image. Uh, wisdom allows them to be settled. Wisdom allows them to look into not just the circumstances around them, but the heart motivations that are involved in those circumstances. It is a sign of maturity, right? Life experience, but more importantly, grace experience. So they are to be seen as elders, men who provoke within us a sense of respect. That's kind of what that means. The more you get to know them, the more they provoke within you a respect for their experience and their character. The second word that's used is overseer. Uh, An overseer is very simply a word that means manager, right? They are to be managers. They are to manage the body, lead it to health, and oversee its functions. Now, in our culture, nobody aspires to be a manager. It's not a very sexy thing, right? It's like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a manager. I doubt it, right? Managers, we think of those as like middle-level positions, people that aren't quite good enough to be leaders or in point positions, but they're better than people that are just doing the work. So they show up and they manage. And that really is an underselling of the value of genuine management. Somebody who's a good manager is a huge asset to any organization, right? Um, A manager is somebody who makes the most of what is. That's what a manager is. Is somebody who makes the most of what is. They look around at the resources, the human resources, the financial resources, the, the, uh, the, the potential around, and, and a good manager makes the most of what is. And so they are incredibly essential to the health of an organization. So they manage the budget, they manage the resources, they manage the systems, they manage the people, right? It doesn't mean they do it all themselves, but they are accountable to oversee it. Right? Managers don't do all the work. They manage systems that get the work done. They don't manage everything that's happening, but they build systems. They raise up leaders. They, they train and invest in people so that things can be taken care of. Right? So elders uh, are elders. They are managers or overseers, and they are also shepherds. A shepherd is a pastor. Now, in our culture, when you think of somebody who's a pastor, you think of somebody like me, somebody who is actually paid to work for the church. And, and that's appropriate, right? Because uh, that is a, a function of the church. There are full-time elders who get their living from the gospel, right? And that's me. I, I have the great privilege of being able to, in a sense, make my living by investing all of my time, all of my energy, all of my passion into the development of the, the local church. But all elders are pastors, paid or not, right? The paid piece is completely secondary, right? Just because someone's paid to do it doesn't mean they're doing it better or, or doing it with more passion. They just are being freed up with their time to invest everything they have into the full-time investment of the body. So all elders are pastors, and the word pastor literally means shepherd, right? It's a, it's a metaphor because God's people are often called sheep and the leaders are called shepherds. They function in the body as a shepherd functions in the flock. So our, our pastors are called to know the sheep, right? To actually know people. They don't just work with numbers and, and, and they invest in people. 
They, they actually shepherd people. They get involved. They, 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 a good shepherd smells like the sheep. That's the old saying, right? They are absolutely involved with everything that's happening. They're not just businessmen who show up and give good advice. They're not just people who, who come to a board meeting and, and have some input. And These are people that are actively leading in the discipleship ministries of the church. They are helping people grow in grace. They are helping people move into the freedom of the gospel. They are struggling with people who are struggling. They know the sheep. They protect the sheep because they love the sheep. So they act in ways that are in the best interest of the body. And most important, they don't do this because they're hired. They do it because they love the sheep and because they love the chief shepherd. Jesus calls himself the chief shepherd of the body. And the elders of the church are under shepherds. He's the true senior pastor of the church. He's the true chief shepherd of the church. We're all under shepherds. It's his church. We are all his people, right? But as elders, we function as under shepherds. And as Jesus loved the sheep and laid down his life for them, the under shepherds are called as well to lead out and sacrifice, to lay down their lives, to sacrifice their, their, their energy and their time and, and their, their uh, personal desires, right? A, two, a true shepherd leads the sheep because he loves the sheep. And our elders are, are, are pastors involved in people's lives to care for them and disciple them and help them grow, and they are motivated by love. And they lay down their lives for the church. So you want to know what this tells us about the job description of an elder. It means that to be an elder means you have to be eager to sacrifice sleep, to sacrifice margin of free time, to increase relational capacity, to be with people, more people than you want to be with, <laughs> to have more relationships than you're comfortable having. When you're tired and you're ready to pull down the curtains and close it up when someone calls in crisis to say, I am available. Shepherds don't just go home at night. They sleep in the fields. They live with the sheep. Now, of course, there are healthy boundaries. That's a whole other issue, right? There are healthy boundaries, and we talk about that sort of stuff all the time because it's incredibly important that, uh, that, that we are maintaining our own health in this process, but these are guys who sacrifice time and margin uh, to be part of an inefficient system. Yes, I said it's an inefficient system because this was never designed to be efficient. It was designed to be effective, right? We have a group of guys that are different in temperament, different in wiring, different often in vision. And we're trying, we're, we are called to lead in unity. And that means a lot of conversation, a lot of prayer, a lot of relational investment, a lot of fighting through to make sure we understand each other and, and continue to value one another. These, it means that we, while um, are committed to, to sometimes more meetings than we want to attend and more conversations than we want to have because sometimes decisions are more complex than we want them to be, right? So the job description, sacrifice sleep, sacrifice time and margin, be part of an inefficient system, lead in financial sacrifice, Weep with those who weep. Mourn with those who mourn. You're like, Steve, this sounds like it sucks. 
All right, it's hard. It's hard. But here's the thing, it doesn't come without reward. It's an incredibly enriching experience. And I can tell you, as somebody who, who didn't set out, I didn't set out to be a pastor. That wasn't my life plan. God kind of ordered my steps. I was in education. I was a teacher and a principal for 17 years. That was my career. God called me out of that. Wasn't my plan. But I can tell you this. There are things that happen in you once you start bearing the weight that wouldn't have happened had you not borne the weight. In the same way, when you step into the gym, are you totally prepared for the gym, right? When you start that first CrossFit session, are you totally ready? Not a chance. You're showing up because you want to be prepared, which means you have to actually do what you're not prepared to do to become prepared to do what you didn't think you could do. Eldership's like that. You start bearing the weight, and the weight itself changes you. You start working through the process, and the process itself molds you. So it comes with rewards that are very, very hard to explain. But the weight of this process should call us to respect and honor those who serve as elders. That's biblical. We are told in 1 Timothy 5, 17, that we are to honor those who, who labor to be good overseers, elders in our church. And Paul tells Timothy, not only are we to honor those who serve as elders, but it's actually a noble thing to desire to be an elder, right? It's not a light or easy task, but it is a noble task. When I planted Trailhead six years ago, uh, I had gone through an eldership process with the journey, and, and they as elders had, had brought me through a process of testing and training and examination and, and had affirmed God's call on my life to, to be a pastor, and, and I had become a pastor within the journey and then was sent out from the journey to, to start Trailhead. And I knew, even as they sent me out, that it would be incumbent, it would be necessary for me to raise up more elders, which was exciting. And honestly, scary, because Trailhead at that point was this thing in my head, and I loved it. God had given me this, this vision for this church and this community, had given me this great burden in my heart to see something born in this community that would be driven by the gospel, that would drink deeply of grace, that would be passionate about loving others. So in a lot of ways, Trailhead is my baby, but it's God's church. And I knew, even as I started it, that I was going to have to empower elders. That God was going to call me in a process of, of giving away power. Giving away influence. Giving away control. Which was scary. Not just because these guys have the power to hire and fire me. They do. They also have the power to tell me no. And in some ways, that's even harder. Because sometimes I come to the table with a passion and a vision. But I have to submit it. I have to submit to the elders. As an elder, I submit to the elders. We each submit to the body. And that was intimidating. Because here's the thing. What, what that meant was not just my job security. It meant my vision security. These guys were going to have not just the power, but the responsibility to shape the culture and the vision and the direction of this church. I was going to have to give away. 
this beautiful thing that God had given me. And in doing, I was going to have to trust the Spirit of God because I was giving it to flawed men. It's easy to forget how flawed I was, right? But, but I had to give it away. And in that process, um, God worked through that. So here's the thing. How do we know who should be elders, right? I mean, this is an incredible responsibility. This is a, a weighty thing, right? And so when we have elders go through our eldership process, we look at the, the three C's. It's a very typical hiring uh, paradigm that I think Collins came up with, the, the character, the competency, and the chemistry, right? So we look at the three C's. Um, and so with chemistry, we're looking at do they, do they get trailhead, right? Just because somebody was an elder in another church doesn't mean they're going to show up and be an elder here, right? Their, their, their culture may be different than our culture. Their experience may be different than our experience. And there may be ways that we're saying, hey, we're glad you're here and we love you, but we're not ready to give you the reins of controlling the culture of our church. We want to know, do you really get the mission and the vision of this church, this church, right? Do you, are you in tune with, are you really like lit up with the same passions that drive us? Uh, with competency, we're looking at, at what skill sets do you bring to the table, right? When you show up, how are you going to contribute? What weight are you going to bear? How are you going to step into this group and, and bear weight in ways that are going to help us lead more effectively? But most importantly is character. Character, uh, competency can be trained, chemistry can be shaped, but character, character has to be formed. And that takes time. People have to show up with the foundation of character. And it's not surprising then that that's where the Bible puts most of the emphasis, right? There are two descriptions um, that Paul gives in the New Testament for how to identify new elders. In Titus chapter 1 and 1 Timothy chapter 3, that's the one we read this morning, there are detailed lists of what you're supposed to be looking for when it comes to, um, to eldership. The two lists overlap, not surprisingly, uh, and there are, man, I don't know, around a dozen character qualities that are listed there. And I want to talk about those briefly, but, but here's the thing. If we followed our cultural instincts... We would probably gravitate, when it came to eldership, we would probably gravitate toward the powerful, the popular, and the successful. Because those are the things that our culture values. If somebody is powerful and, and, and popular and successful, we assume they must have all of the skill sets necessary to bring that level of success into any new organization they go into, right? So, We'd be looking for good businessmen. We'd be looking for people with cultural clout. And here's the thing, there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with those things, but they are not what we're looking for when it comes to eldership. When the Bible tells us how to pick elders, it doesn't give us job descriptions, it gives us men descriptions. It has much more to do with the character than the outward signs of success. So in the two places where the Bible tells us the qualifications, 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, we have overlapping lists, and I, I think we have them on the screen behind me. We do. There we go. All right. Perfect. Um, just kind of go through these, I mean, just so you kind of understand what, what they're saying. The first one is, is the most intimidating of all, right? They are to be above reproach. Everybody's hand falls on that one, right? Holy cow. How in the world is anyone supposed to be above reproach? All right, what this doesn't mean is they need to be perfect. <laughs> Elders are not perfect. 
right? It doesn't mean that they have their act together in every area of their life all the time. It doesn't mean they're a finished product, because if they were, they would be with Jesus, not here, right? We're all works in progress. We're all uh, trophies of grace, and if you really think about what that means, that means we're really jacked up, right? Because we're not trophies of self-effort. We're not trophies of self-glory. We're not trophies of we have our act together. We're trophies of grace, which means we had nothing else we could lean into but grace. We needed the free, undeserved love of God, something we couldn't deserve to become what we couldn't make ourselves to be. To be above reproach, then, simply means that these are people who have a track record of running to grace. These are people who have a track record of, of, of not hiding their weaknesses in pride or in shame, but, but, but of learning how to confess those weaknesses to God and to others. Your elders aren't the ones who need to confess the least. They're the ones who confess the most. Because they're the ones that are most eager to, to show others how to walk in the path of grace. And that's not through the path of self-effort and perfection. It's not through the path of putting up a plastic front where everybody thinks you have it all together and everybody else feels condemned in your presence. It, it means that you're inviting people into the path you're learning to walk, which is the path of humble dependence, the path of brokenness, the path of humility. To be above reproach means that, that you have a track record. You have evidenced a, a character pattern of drinking deeply of grace. Your need and his provision. Make sense? So, so elders aren't the ones who, again, don't confess or don't have sin. They're the ones that are most quickly confessing. <laughs> They're the lead confessors of the church. They're the ones that are basically like, yeah, you want to know what it looks like to be a broken person redeemed by grace? Here you go. I'll show you. I'm not going to hide. I'm not going to pretend. I'm not going to perform. I'm going to let you see it because that's how I lead. I can't tell you to do what I'm not doing. I'm going to show you what God's doing in me and invite you into the process. To be above reproach doesn't mean to be perfect, but it does mean that they have a maturity, a pattern, a history of growing in grace. They are not new converts because obviously a new convert can't develop that pattern. It takes time. A new convert can have passion. <laughs> A new convert can have enthusiasm and excitement, and, and, and they can be loud and bold, but what they don't have is a pattern. It takes time, right? It takes time to grow into this. New converts don't know what they don't know, and you can't tell them. They have to learn it. It takes God's grace to show them the brokenness in their heart they don't even know is there yet. Right? It's, it's not uncommon. I'm with a new convert, a new believer, and they're so excited. They're like, man, I haven't sinned in a week. Praise God. And I'm like, yes, you have. Let me crush you. But you know what? God's grace is greater. It's okay right now in your prideful exuberance, man. Praise God for grace. You'll get there. God will show you things you don't want to see, right? So not a new convert, right? They need to be husbands of one wife. Literally what this means is they need to be one women men. They can't be guys that are chasing skirts. They can't be guys that, that are constantly looking around and evaluating. They can't be guys. The standard of beauty for them is their wife. So they're not comparing their wife to other women. They're not comparing. That, that's it, man. Like, I even hate to use that terminology, the standard of beauty, because that is comparative. Their wife is beauty. Why? Because they're one-woman men. They've been called to delight in the wife of their youth. They've been called to delight in, in their, their covenant mate, right? They're one-woman men. So single men can be elders if they have developed a heart that is of a one-woman man, 
right? They're not, they're not out there just flirting all the time, trying to find their uh, identity in women's affection. They're, they're not trying to, they're not serial daters, not, and I use that cautiously. You can be a serial dater as long as you're dating appropriately, right? There's all kinds of dates, all kinds of, and that's, by the way, we're coming up on a sermon series about relationships, and we're going to be talking about this specifically, because I think we do dating really badly in the church these days. So we're going to talk about this, okay? But, but these are guys that, that have learned how to develop appropriate forms of intimacy with people around them. They don't form inappropriate forms of intimacy to feed their own insecurities. They're one-woman men, right? They lead their own home well. They have a track record of management. That's really what that means, that they lead well. It doesn't mean that they're all wired the same, right? You don't want me doing the books. You don't. You don't want me managing the finances. I'm, I'm, that's you know, like I can force myself to do it, but by the time I'm done, it's going to be way more work for you, right? And, and so in our house, Lauren is details, and so we work together, right? But it does mean that, that I've learned how to work with my strengths and weaknesses. It does mean that I've learned how to, to, you know, step back and allow Lauren to lead in areas where she's better at leadership, right? It means I've learned how to manage my house well. It means I've learned how to, 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 to raise my children in such a way that they know I love them, doesn't mean my kids are perfect, but man, I, it's important that my kids know they, that they are loved by me and by God, right? Um, they need to be respectable, um, which means that they need to be people that provoke respect, right? As you get to know them, uh, there's something about them that's weighty. That's what that idea of respectable means, something about weighty about them. And here's the thing, people who have deep experience of grace, they provoke respect. They really do. Because when you're around them, they're not fronting, they're not pretending, they're not sliding out their resume in front of them, you should be impressed with me. They, they don't do that, right? What, what they do is they bleed grace, right? Which encourages and strengthens and blesses the people around them. They are self-controlled, they're not drunks. Uh, the idea here is, is they are not uh, prone to addictive behaviors, okay? It doesn't mean that they don't struggle with them. It does mean that, that they are quick to run to grace, right? Uh, addictions thrive in secrecy. Addictions thrive in shame. Addictions thrive in pride and cowardice. So it doesn't mean that, that, that the elders don't struggle with addictive behaviors, but it does mean that they have grown a track record of running to grace in such a way that, that they are not controlled by their addictions, but instead they are controlled by grace. They're not driven by a love of money. Their measurement of success is not their 401k, right? They, they are, their single driving force is not money. Money is really, really attractive and dangerous because it feeds all the hard idols. It doesn't matter if you're more concerned with success or, or approval or comfort or whatever that deep hard idol is. Money has a way of feeding all the hard idols, right? So what this means is that instead of running to money to feed your hard idols, you see money as a useful tool to build a good life, to glorify God, to help advance and invest in the kingdom, right? Uh, they are hospitable. You know, like, Steve, I have never been to your house. Sorry. Um, the word hospitable doesn't mean they have everybody in the, in the church over to their house. That's not what that means. They throw huge house parties. As I, you just, most of our elders are introverts, right? People exhaust them. Well, in large crowds, right? Introverts love deep one-on-one conversations. They love connecting with people deeply, but, but surf it like, like small talk 
kills them, right? So this doesn't mean that they need to be the big party hosts. The word hospitable literally means a lover of the stranger. That's literally what it means. They need to be a lover of the stranger. They need to be thinking about the people that are outside of, of the, 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 the church, people that are, that are in need of community, people that are in need of connection, people that are... And so, um, like for me, the way this plays out is I often uh, make a priority of meeting with new people in the church. I want to find out who they are. I want to find out their story a little bit. I can't meet with all the new people in the church, but, but when I'm managing my time, there are two groups of people that I spend most of my time with, my leaders who I invest in and develop and, 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 and because that's about vision clarity and mission effectiveness, right? And new people, right? And my community group because those are the people I've committed to doing life with deeply. And so I, don't, I, can't, I can't be deeply connected to everybody in the church. My elders can't be deeply connected, but they have a heart for the outsider. They have a heart for the stranger. They have a heart for, the, for those that are in need and are in suffering, those that are, that are, that are not valued by our culture, those that are, um, so they invite in the stranger, right? They are a safe refuge for people in need, right? They're hospitable. They're sober-minded, and that goes right with the next one. They're not violent or contentious. They have developed the ability to process things through grace instead of uh, simply responding <laughs> with quick temper or quick fear or, or a quick tongue or a quick sarcasm, which is hard not to do in our Facebook culture, um, they have learned how to be self-controlled, right? It doesn't mean they don't feel those impulses to, I could slam you so bad right now, right? But they don't, right? They, they're sober-minded. They don't get drunk on the, the, the intoxication of the fight. They don't get drunk on the intoxication of the heated discussion, right? They are voices of clarity. They are voices of concern. It doesn't mean that they never get in fights. It doesn't mean they don't get involved in, in stuff, but it means that, that they try to be a clarion voice, a clear voice in the midst of the confusion that calls people back to grace, right? They're sober-minded. They're not quick-tempered. They're not looking for a fight. They're not like looking to prove how big they are by making other people feel small. They're not simply looking to, to, uh, to get in arguments, right? They're gentle. They're gentle. This is one of the most masculine descriptors you're going to read in all of Scripture. And it's one that we don't often associate with men. They are gentle, which means that they hold their strength in proper reserve. They're gentle. They know how to be strong when they need to be strong. They know how to be soft when they need to be soft. They, they know how to, to be courageous when the occasion calls for courage. They also know how to fade into the background when it's not their time to be in front or to be loud or be in control or to be, they're gentle. They know how to come along someone who's, someone who's hurting and give them a word of encouragement. They know how to come alongside somebody who is prideful and hurting others and how to bring a grace-filled word of rebuke. They're gentle. They have a good re reputation with people who are outside of the church. Um, that means that, that their character is known not just with people who like them, <laughs> but with people who maybe don't, Right? It's not just about, like, here's the thing, man, the Christian game, you guys know the Christian game. The Christian game is that you know how to say the right things, do the right things, dress the right way, or, or, or to build up a reputation inside the Christian community, right? Kind of like this weird thing, this Christian fame thing we got going on in our culture these days where, where you can basically build a platform inside and, and, and nobody's really asking, how do unbelievers think about this guy? It is absolutely important that the grace that grips your heart doesn't just give you a platform with people who agree with you. 
it opens doors for people who don't. That, that there is a good reputation with people that are outside of the church. And one that's unique to elders, this, by the way, description is very similar to the descriptions given for deacons, a whole other group of leaders that we'll be talking about, but, but this one's unique. They need to be apt to teach or able to teach. It doesn't mean that they're going to be up front um, on a stage, right? It, it does mean, though, that they're going to be actively teaching people how to grow in grace. They're going to be leaders in teaching. So they may be leading community groups, they may be leading small group discussions, but they lead, Right? When the opportunity presents itself, they are apt to teach. They are, they are eager to see people grow. That's not simply meaning they have a lot of knowledge. It means that they love to bring their experience to bear on the growth, the discipleship growth of people around them. All right, so here's the thing, you guys. They're not perfect, but they are mature and they are growing in maturity. And these are the fruit that come, this character that we're describing from somebody who has embraced grace and somebody who is growing in grace, somebody who knows how deeply they're loved by God and they're delighting in that love, right? That love has melted their hearts. And because of that, this is the stuff that comes out. So I want you to see, these aren't things you do. They're who you are. We're talking about character, not behavior. And character takes time to develop. Right? In the same way it takes pressure to turn a piece of coal into a diamond. There has to be suffering. There has to be growth. There has to be a track record of pushing into this stuff through the hard times. And, and, and that's, what, that's what develops character. You don't just decide one day, I'm going to be a man of proven character. You have to set a path that sets a trajectory that leads you to a result. So I want to focus on one key verse as we wrap up, and that's uh, verse 1, chapter 3, verse 1. I'm going to put it on the screen behind me. It says this, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So three things I want to say about this first, um, and I don't mean this in any way to be exclusionary, but I do want, I would love to have a church filled with men who are worthy of being elders. Now, that is not in any way to slight the leadership, the strength, the development of gifts of, of, of my sisters in Christ. I'll, I'll nail you guys later, okay? I'll challenge you to grow in Christ. But dudes, I'm just going to speak to you for a minute. I would love to have a church filled with men who are worthy of being called elders. Not everybody will be called. There's a difference between having the character and having the calling. But I would love to have a church that's filled, right? Most churches are filled with passive dudes who are drugged there by their wives. We have a culture that fosters extended adolescence. Men who are boys more concerned with video games, fishing, the 401ks, their new toy than being worthy men. So what we're talking about here is not whether or not you play video games. Video games are awesome. I'm not talking about whether or not you have a fishing boat. I love fishing. And if you have a boat, you should invite me. <laughs> okay? What we're talking about are aspirations. What do you aspire to? What are the aspirations that control your values? 
What are the aspirations that control your behaviors? We live in a world of competing aspirations. And Paul is saying, this one's trustworthy. (laughs) This is a trustworthy statement. This aspiration will not let you down. Literally, if anyone aspires, aspires, sets your affection toward, sets your goal toward this, even if you don't become an elder, you're going to be blessed. Literally, uh, in the Greek here, it's a difficult phrase to translate. In our verse, it says, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, that's a noble thing, right? The word office isn't in the Greek. Literally, what it says is, is if anyone aspires to overseer shipping, or another way of translating that would be anyone who aspires to the work of an overseer, to the character of an overseer. Not, not, the, not the title, not the office, but the character that makes the office possible. If anyone aspires to being a person worthy of this title, it is a noble desire. The focus is on the work, not the office. The focus is on the weight of responsibility, not the pride of the title. Here's the thing. If we had a church filled with guys that, are, that this was their primary aspiration, tell me how that wouldn't be good for our church. Tell me how that wouldn't be good for our families. Tell me how that wouldn't be good for our community. Tell me how that wouldn't be good for our workplaces. Men seeking to be worthy men. Worthy men are a blessing to their families, their businesses, their communities. So the first thing we want is we want to be a church full of worthy men. Second, some of you are being called to take the weight of that office. I know that. The Spirit of God will call men in this church to be elders in this church. And so we're going to be reopening the elder process. And if you believe that God is calling you, it doesn't mean that you can, I don't want you showing up saying, God has called me, you must know. But if you believe maybe God's calling you, like, yeah, maybe God's giving me a desire, like stirring my heart. Maybe, maybe, you know, God is leading me to bear that weight. I need you to throw your name into the hat and let us know. There's going to be a self-nomination form uh, on the city that will be posted later today. I didn't get it done this morning. Um, but it will be posted later today. And if God's leading you, stirring your heart to, to join this process, I'm going to encourage you to nominate yourself. Some of you are like, Steve, self-nomination feels weird, man. That feels like pride. Why can't we do a popular vote? <laughs> because biblical elders um, aren't elected. All throughout the New Testament, bi- biblical elders are affirmed and recognized by other biblical elders. And it begins with, with men being able to articulate a call, being able to say, I believe God's leading me to do this. There are no popular votes in Scripture, right? So you're like, well, well, then why can't we do a nomination process? It'd be a lot easier for me if someone nominated me instead of me nominating myself because one of the qualifications is that a man needs to be able to articulate a call. Needs to be able to say, God is stirring me, right? There came a point in my life, man, that for for the longest time, I didn't want to be an elder. I didn't want to be a pastor. I read this verse at 17, And it gripped my heart. There was something about that. I was like, I want to be the kind of man who is worthy. And and, and that said about 20 years of God working on the coal, man, like the pressure and the, and it was beautiful and it was good. But there came a point where there was a burden in my heart that said, Steve, you're not not just supposed to pursue the character anymore. 
I believe you're supposed to pursue the office. And that's when I went to the elders of the journey. Like, I was hired at the journey as the director of family ministries because I told them at the outset, I'm not a pastor. I don't want the pastor's title. But there came a point where there was a call in my heart, and I went to them, and I said, I believe God is calling me to be an elder in this church. And that began the process. So here's the thing. If you think somebody should be nominated, tell him. Like, if you're like, man, I wish I could nominate so-and-so, go and tell him. Encourage his heart, right? Strengthen him. Encourage him. Um, and if he prays about it and believes that he agrees with you, then, then you're helping him in that process. So the third thing, I want everybody praying. I would love to have everybody praying. Recognizing elders is one of the most significant things we do and honestly one of the most dangerous things we do. Because in that process, we are inviting men in to shape the very culture of our church which determines the future of our church. It will shape the future, the vision, the growth, and the health. So I'm calling everyone, please, let's pray together that the Spirit would move the hearts of the men that He is calling to be elders in our church. So it's huge. Let's pray and let's seek to hear the Spirit. All right, you guys, um, I'm going to wrap us up. We're going to be sharing communion together. Uh, I hope... I know today was more teachy than preachy, and there are times that that's necessary, and, and I hope that today was encouraging to your heart, if nothing else, an encouragement to pray, to pray for the elders that God has so graciously given us, um, but also to pray for the ones he will, the elders that are, that are um, the Spirit's working on right now to begin the process. All right, let me pray for us. We're going to go into a time of response. We'll sh share communion together. Father, I thank you that this is your church, that we're your people, that we are your sheep. Spirit, I thank you that you are the one who's genuinely leading and shaping the desires of our hearts. You're the one who calls. You're the one who equips. You're the one who shapes and leads. And Man, I am thank you. I am just so thankful that your vision for our lives is so much greater than ours. That you want to lead us into blessings we would avoid because they're too costly. You want to lead us into life change we would never experience because we're too lazy or we don't like discomfort. Spirit, you, you want to lead this church into a deeper experience of grace that we might more deeply delight in your love and more powerfully share that love with our neighbors. Do that work in us. I thank you for the elders. I thank you for their sacrifice and their leadership. And I pray that you will continue to uh, lead and equip and bless as we seek to raise up more. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, take a minute and respond. We will share communion in a moment.